This is Makerspace Managers Podcast, Episode 5. I'm your host, Will Bradley, and today I'm chatting with Fritzy, who's wanting to start a hackerspace in Santa Rosa, which is my old stomping ground where I was helping running Chimera next door in, in Sebastopol, all there in Sonoma County. And so um, we're just going to go over some of the kind of getting started topics because uh, he had a whole bunch of questions for me, and I figured we might as well get them recorded. And so the first thing we wanted to talk about was funding, right? Yeah. So I'm uh, Fritzi and uh, I'm planning to set up this hackerspace in Santa Rosa. And like we have kind of a community already. It's like one day's old, the whole project. Awesome. Uh, yeah. And we have 20, like 22 members, I think. Oh, that's awesome. And so we were like scouting for places. And so the rents are pretty high, like around Mm -hmm. like $1,000 a month. Right. And so we were wondering how we could make, like how how can we fund the rent from month to month? And like uh, sometimes they require like security deposits. So how to... Exactly. You got to get some money before you can make money, right? Yes. Um, so when I was seeing your your call out for uh, people who are wanting to be interested and um, uh, we were talking about kind of core members and, and what they're able to afford, you know, how many core members you have and, and what obligation <clears throat> you might be able to uh, put up just as your core members, it sounded like you had, you were maybe halfway there. You had a couple people who were really dedicated and could do maybe a hundred bucks a month or so per person, right? Yeah. So like we at, as the core team, we are like four people, three people Mm -hmm. and we can like do uh, $500 about that's a stable amount we can give every month. Mm Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So I think that's a great um, a great start. And it sounds like from what I was reading, you've read all the hackerspace wiki design patterns and kind of understand the importance of having a core group that's really dedicated and willing to put their money where their mouth is. Yes. Uh, I think the hackerspace wiki is a very valuable resource. So I, I have been browsing it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's my advice too, is when you have about, you know, five, maybe even up to 10 core people that you can, you know, these are people who, if you asked each other to help load a moving van for each other to, you know, get across town or something, these are people who you can rely on, hopefully to um, really show up for whatever is necessary between you all and and be dedicated to each other. Um, And uh, finding those people is, you know, kind of difficult, right? But I think once you have a couple basically good friends like that, people that you can really uh, trust and and um, rely on, and maybe if you do end up uh, having to you know, change something about your life, maybe somebody's moving away to college or something, you can at least give each other a heads up you know, far in advance. You're, you have that level of dedication to each other, hopefully, that... Um, if you can't show up for each other, you would let each other know. Um, but once you have that, uh, expanding those five or 10 people to another, like you said, it sounds like you have 20 people that are interested. Um, my advice is not only can you start asking for donations towards the future of a hackerspace, you know, you line out your vision, you provide some details and you say, Hey, this money is going to go into some bank account. Uh, here's transparently how it's going to be used or where it's going to be saved almost like a Kickstarter, but hopefully there's some reassurances. Like maybe you can't have a 501c3 yet because the IRS is working on it, but maybe if you have, uh, uh, LLC or, or domestic corporation registered with the state that can be marked as a nonprofit organization, even if it's not a 501c3 nonprofit. Um, 
uh, I know that some of you guys aren't 18 yet, so maybe you're working with a parent or somebody you trust to set something like that up. But uh, people like to donate when they know that it's not simply going to your pizza fund, you know, for you personally. Um, and a lot of people, if they believe in your vision, sounds like you've got a couple dozen people who want a hackerspace to exist in Santa Rosa uh, with the kinds of vibe that you're, you're suggesting, then yeah, they, they might be willing to um, put a little bit of money on the line. I myself uh, started giving $5 a month to the uh, new makerspace in Salem before it even existed. It was just some people that were meeting up um, like once a month. And I was like, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. I would like to see you guys exist. So here's $5 a month, just pure donation. And you get a couple dozen people like that. And your your bank account starts to grow. Yes. So like, uh, I, uh, well, we, we have not now like an estimate of our rent. And so we can start budgeting. Mm-hmm. And the thing we calculated is that we would need like around forty dollar memberships from twenty people mm-hmm. to be able to keep up this space. Exactly. And the thing is that we, I put out a survey uh, this morning, mm-hmm. asking about like people like we we had a vote on the name because we haven't decided on the name yet, right? But we. The other question was, how much would you be willing to pay? Like, because I don't know their financial status and it's fully anonymous. So like, I don't know yeah. who says what, but I, I wanted to get like a, an estimate of how much people would be willing to pay. And the thing is, it's like not near uh, 40, it's below it for now. Sure. So that's a lot of people saying of, five, 10, 20. Yes. Like mm-hmm. around 20, uh, 10, 20. Yeah. And that's kind of alarming because now I, I think that we might not be able to get the funding and yeah. And I think, um, obviously rent can be a lot, but I don't think, I think 1200 for Sonoma County is actually cheap. If you're able to find a space that is comfortable in the summer and comfortable in the winter that has enough space for a couple dozen people to just sit and enjoy their laptops for $1,200 a month. I think that's going to be amazing. Um, Sometimes I think like you were saying earlier and we'll get into it like a triple net lease or something. Some of these things you might end up finding end up being a lot more expensive. You definitely have to budget for the cost of air conditioning or swamp cooling or whatever it is, heating, Um, you know, a space with 20 foot ceilings maybe. Um, so your, your estimates for all that definitely need to uh, be factored in. But at the same time, um, part of my philosophy of building your core group, I like to call it my party theory of hackerspace management. If you, you're in high school or you're in college and you want to have an amazing party this weekend and you want it to be the best party ever, you're not really going to go to the people that you know and say, hey, would you help me create a party? Would you, uh, you know, like, I, I'm, I'm not really sure how to make a party. Uh, I, I, I could really use your help. Um, um, I'm thinking maybe maybe we could have, you know, some some drinks or some food. I don't know. You decide, right? That's not... That's not inspiring anybody or amping anybody's energy up. You're going to go to your friends and say, we're going to have an amazing party this weekend. All the, you know, all the drinks and all the food's going to be here. All the video games is going to be amazing. What can you bring? And that sounds like something somebody wants to join up with. Right. So um, when you have this vision that people are already signing on to, because there's obviously a desire for it. You don't have to lie to anybody. Don't misrepresent what does or does not exist, but put your best foot forward and share your vision for what it should be if everything goes right, if, if people actually show up, right? And you won't know. You won't know on, on Saturday at 7 p.m. if 
anybody's actually showing up or if you're going to be sitting there by yourself. But my trick that I learned is you make sure with you and your five friends that are, you know, definitely um, having your back, you make sure that you're going to have a good time no matter what. If it's you and your friends, you know, doing a little hackathon and you have a single thing of Mountain Dew, great. If 200 people show up and there's a Tesla coil, amazing. But either way, it's going to be a fun event and and you're going to um, make sure that you're going to have a good time. Your friends are going to have a good time and anybody else who shows up is going to have a good time. And when you have that kind of vision and you've set things up and you've made sure that the basics are taken care of, then anybody who shows up is just welcome to join. And, and, you know, it's they're they're joining a party already in progress as opposed to um, feeling like they're getting suckered into something that, that might require more uh, of an obligation than, than they were signing up for. Right. Um, and, and so that's kind of the difference between the, the inspirational, um, bringing in of new community members to a, a shared vision and the kind of very easily, it's very easy to be kind of defeatist and, and circling the drain and unsure, um, when, when the basics aren't laid out like that. And when you don't have confidence in the thing that you're planning out and what I'm getting at is when you do have that. It doesn't really matter if you have $1,200 a month uh, of income and $5,000 in your bank account and uh, 30 people paying you $50 a piece because you can still do the things that you're wanting to be doing and having a good time and showing up, even if it's at the library or a park or the, uh, the farmer's market or whatever it may happen to be. Yes, that's like the other thing that uh, we are thinking about is that maybe we will not be able to afford like our own space uh, right now. So the other thing was uh, one of the users actually proposed that we could maybe meet at like the uh, public library uh, like uh, every week or every second week mm-hmm. and just you know have a hackathon kind of thing sit down whatever it is yeah so what um you know if i was if i was passing you in the street and express my interest you know maybe i have an awesome t-shirt on you think wow this is an amazing person that i want to show up to my my hackerspace what is your vision for the hackerspace what kinds of fun things are you wanting to be happening when, so, when you do have a, your own space and you do have everything that you've ever wanted, what's what's the attractive thing that, that really makes you want to be doing this? So uh, the most like attractive thing, I think, is that it's like a community-operated thing. So it's not for-profit for anyone, not even us. Mm-hmm. And so if everything goes right, and like especially in the early stages, m- membership will be free. So like you can come there, try it out, see if it's good for you. And like, we just want to create like a good atmosphere of uh, creators, like-minded people, like hackers. So like people who like to create stuff, uh, break stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think if like we start gathering up and like feel that we are like, because we have the, we have common goals or interests. I think it's really much easier to then assemble into a more organized form and when they get our space and when we get when we get our space then I think like amazing projects will get created because we will provide the tools the space and we will have a amazing community and I think it will be all uh, like uphill and I I hope that at some point, like the community will become a uh, self-managing kind of. So like us as the core members, we will just handle all the background stuff, but everything else will be like members doing their stuff. Exactly. And so uh, when you're starting out and you only have a meetup and you're going to need to have a meeting of 
even if even if everybody started donating today and you had all the money today, you're still going to need to assemble these people and have an in-person meeting about what space to get and how to run things, you know. So, um, yeah, I think that starting meetups and having those be doing what you want to be doing if you had a makerspace anyway. So uh, if, if your makerspace should be a place where people are doing capture the flag contests, you know, like information security, or if there are places where people are bringing their Arduino projects and working on them and showing them off, whatever it is, uh, if you can figure out how to bring a little bit of that into a library or a farmer's market or a coffee shop or somebody's garage, whatever it may be, then you're already doing the thing, right? And having a physical space that's permanent that you can all go to at any time is just kind of a nice thing uh, that that is kind of an add-on to the core activity of showing up and sharing and cultivating a community of creative people, right? Yeah, so the main reason that we I created the Discord server and made the announcement yesterday was to get like people together to mm-hmm. get to know each other and like see how many people would be interested and the thing that like complicates uh this early stage is that I am currently not in the USA so mm-hmm. I physically cannot be there right for another 2 weeks but after I get back to the USA one of my first thing to do will be to call a meeting. Uh, like I will pre-book uh, a meeting room at our uh, public library. Yeah. It's, and and I'm very excited for that. And what, the other thing that I'm like planning on right now uh, is uh, having like an online meetup kind of thing. So we just right. talk about things. So just engaging with the community and getting them to talk to us and to each other. Yeah. And I love your Discord. It's already one of the more active Discord channels uh, that I um, am joined in. So I think that that's a great start too. Uh, if, you know, if I had Discord and Slack and stuff in 2009 when I was starting Heatsync, uh, I think it would have been very different. But that's a great foundation. And um, the so tying it back to fundraising, uh, even if it costs you money, let's say to reserve the library space or reserve whatever it is you're doing, uh, maybe maybe you uh, make sure that there's a whole bunch of pizza for everybody and and soda or something. Uh, that's going to cost money, and if you don't have that, maybe you do, maybe you don't, uh, out of pocket you can have like a tip jar up front. And the phrase that we used at Heatsink was give people ways to give you money. There's, there's a lot of generosity in the world, especially when somebody's receiving something for free. You know, if you're, if you're just giving away generosity, often people want to repay that somehow. And so when you give them some way, you don't have to push it, but you know, there's the tip jar right up front. And it says a little sticky note, like, you know, pitch in for pizza or pitch in to cover the cost of the room today or whatever it may be. Uh, you'll randomly find a $20 or a $50 bill in there. And that can be a wonderful thing. And, and a lot of people don't have the confidence or don't realize that they can just kind of ask for that. Or uh, it's, it's the opposite approach of trying to sell somebody something. Um, I think especially when you're talking about creativity and collaboration and um, and the kinds of like nonprofit community ideals that we're talking about, I think it can be easy to turn people off with a, uh, a sales pitch and they feel like they're being sold to, they feel like they're buying a product or service. And uh, that's a vibe that I've really tried to avoid because it can lead to dissatisfied customers, right? And people saying, I didn't get enough value for my money and stuff like that. And uh, I think that's actually one issue that you mentioned that you had with Chimera was that uh, you felt like the money being asked for didn't align with um, 
the the services being received, right? Yeah. So the thing that I I really want to avoid is for people to think that being a member is something that they can buy, like it's it's a it's a product, mm-hmm. and uh, it grants them like a service because it does exactly. Not. So like it's a community uh, place. It's it's run by us the community Mm -hmm. and because of the system we have in plan to like keep the space open which is members get the key to open the space Mm -hmm. we need to trust our members so like you can just pay us pay the membership fee and you get a key we have to get to trust you and then you can earn to be uh like to be able to become a member Exactly. But because of this, you don't have to be a member to come in, do your projects, like uh, socialize with us. And it's like your tryout. So you try out the space. Do you like it here? Do you like the community? Do you, can you do stuff here? Like, is, is, this, the, is this a good place for you? Is this something you need? And exactly. we get to like try out you. Can we trust you? Are you, do you fit in? Mm-hmm. And yeah, and when you have the uh, when you're starting out with the meetups, those are obviously pretty much open to the public, um, and so you can decide how to structure it. You can decide, uh, you know, we're open to the public for these events, or we have a special, uh, you know, public open nights where we open the space for, for anybody, versus maybe like members only hours where. Uh, yes, somebody might physically be there, but they're not necessarily opening the doors for everybody. Uh, thinking about that structure will be uh, helpful for you. And um, one of the number one ways that people get dissatisfied and confused, just like you are with Chimera, is uh, when they don't really have a clear path between, you know, most people approach a hackerspace for a couple of reasons. The first people that you're going to get who might want to show up to a meetup are people who already have a little bit of stuff at home. They may already have an Arduino. They might already have a drill press or a soldering iron or whatever it is. And they just kind of want to hang out and uh, chat with other people who are similar. Then there's the people who don't have that and they need it. Maybe they live in an apartment or a dorm and, or they don't have a lot of money and they uh, want access to an Arduino or a computer or a soldering iron or whatever. Um, and so for those people that you get later where you do have these tools and you're kind of like selling access to them, even though you don't really want to have the vibe of selling access to them, um, they need to have an answer for how can I, somebody off the street, come in and use the bandsaw for 10 hours, right? And at Heatsink, that answer was kind of iffy it's kind of like well if you can find somebody to sponsor you um if you want to you know pay us to be a member and then hang around a lot and maybe we volunteer to watch you but maybe we don't and i know it's a 20 minute drive but sorry nobody's here today you know it can be kind of hard um the best version of heat sink that we managed to get was maybe we have a woodworking meetup where somebody knowledgeable about woodworking is there they have the doors open, everybody's hanging out, and maybe people are bringing their projects to work on and they can be supervised during that time. But uh, it can be kind of difficult. And then Chimera, yeah, we might have a sign-off class where you pay the money, you get the membership, you get the card, you get the orientation. You then need to take a $100 woodworking la- uh, woodworking shop uh, certification class so that we can trust you with our tools. But then when you step back and look at it, you're paying two or $300 to get access to a piece of equipment that you can maybe buy at Home Depot for $250, right? So it, um, you're right that at Chimera, it starts to become about the money and it starts to be very confusing. Uh, and that's almost like the flip side of the coin of heatsink where it doesn't matter how much money you throw at us, we're still not going to let you use the bandsaw for you know, two months, right? So just think very clearly about 
like you said, trust is one thing. How do we structure trust? How do we build trust in you know a, a way that doesn't wear out our core members uh, without um, overextending our trust and leading to some some injuries or uh, maintenance issues? And how do we structure our money so that uh, we're still able to to pay on the lights or pay pay money, have enough money to keep the lights on? Um, but I think if you start out with some meetups, I think you'll grow a community that uh, might evolve in the direction that you're talking about organically. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I was about to say something about, uh, how do you pronounce it? Chimera or Chimera? Yeah. Chimera. Yeah. That's a hard to pronounce name. I'm, yeah. I'm right. Sorry. Yes. So, oh, names. Yeah. We, we are. So the thing I wanted uh, about this sp uh, sp space is like, I gave some basic information about what hackerspaces are for people that don't really know it. But mm -hmm. like I, I invite our users or possible users to contribute to the making of this sp uh, space. Mm -hmm. And one of these ideas was let's have like a brainstorm about what 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 will be our name. Yeah. And so yeah, you were there too if I remember correctly. We had some amazing submissions. Like sure. I can see that we have a bunch of creative people who mm -hmm. can come up with amazing ideas. Like some of the names, I didn't even think about them, and I I really do like them. Yeah, and I'm really excited excited about what will be our name at the end. And that's something that I need uh, to keep working on, like building out the infrastructure behind the space. Mm. For example, getting a domain. Uh, I'm really excited to set up our homepage, uh, wiki, uh, like uh, a wiki page, yeah. uh, IRC matrix and stuff like that. So communications. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, the older people and like the people who don't trust the system can join too. Yeah. And yes, I, I'm really excited. Uh, I'm waiting for people to like submit their votes and the name. Yeah. And, and as you saw, you you kind of have to almost go through the crowd and not whip people up, but remind people of, of what the next exciting step is. Um, and one thing, by the way, uh, you know, since you're trying to kind of start this as a founder, I'm not going to say single handedly, but, um, you know, obviously you've got a lot of energy and kind of spearheading this. Uh one thing that I've found is that uh, it's never really worked for me the same way that it works in books and movies and TV shows and my imagination where, you know, uh, the president gets up and he makes a great speech and everybody's inspired and then everybody, you know, runs off to the next thing because they're inspired and now, now everybody does it. I haven't really seen that happen. What I have seen work is you end up having a relationship or somebody, maybe you delegate, you have a, a number of core people. Each core person has an individual relationship with whoever it is, the community members or uh, a partner or a vendor or a landlord or whoever it might be. And it's the one-on-one -on -one individual conversations and relationships like you and me talking now that turn into massive action. And so it, it reminds me a lot of politicians knocking on doors, going door to door, one at a time saying, hey, what are your concerns? Oh, I hear those concerns. Here's what I'm doing. Does that sound like what you want to be, you know, joining up with? Okay, well, we would appreciate your vote. You know, it's almost identical. Just you're not talking about voting. You're talking about, oh, hey, so I heard that you're interested in having a laser cutter. Yeah, me too. Well, I was thinking if we get enough people doing, you know. And it's not the, the, the part where everybody sits down at the library and, and votes to buy a laser cutter is the victory lap at the very end that culminates after weeks of uh, people going around and saying like, okay, 
are we going to do this? Are we going to do this? This is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. Are we getting the groundwork? Are we laying, you know, and, and it ends up being these individual favors, these individual conversations that are amassed together where it, it's really just formalized by the time it's uh, coming to a vote. Because if you just get 50 people in a room together and you say, who likes vanilla ice cream? You're going to have half the room voting for strawberry. It, it's, you know, it, it's uh, completely random. But uh, the political organizing aspect is really, uh, like you said, laying the groundwork. And um, and what I wanted to communicate to you, really just individual conversations um, where, yes, people might pipe up in the group chat. But when you see somebody joining Discord and you give them the wave because they're new, maybe you send them a direct message and you're saying, hey, I'm trying to start this up. Who are you? What are you about? What do you like? You know, that way you are figuring out um, on an individual basis who these people are and, and how they can be a part of the community. Because most people, I'd say 80, 90 percent of people aren't really going to volunteer that um just kind of to the public. Oh, I, uh, yeah, I see what, what you're saying. Uh, well, I haven't done like private messaging yet because I, I kind of like felt like it's kind of creepy, you know, just oh, getting sure. a DM, uh, from someone you don't know, but, uh, on the server, we have this channel called project show and tell, which like encourages people to show off their project that they already did. Exactly. And like we had some conversations uh, based on things shown there that yeah. like connected uh, people who like wanted to do the same thing. And we have a introductions channel, the same thing, like uh, mm -hmm. you can introduce yourself to see what we like. And the other thing that those channels are very important for us as the core team is we see what people want to do in, in yeah. our space and like in our meetups. So that information will help us make like a program, uh, get equipment, make workshops that people will actually like join because they enjoy that. Exactly. So that is, th those channels I think are very, uh, a very important resource for us. Yeah, you're but, right. It, it's, um, definitely important to allow people the the invitation to introduce themselves or show off what they're working on. And we had that experience too at uh, Heatsink that uh, we had a show and tell event called uh, Hot Topics, where it's kind of very short, five, 10 minutes of show us what you've been working on, you know, and kind of rapid fire, move on to the next person. And it was very popular, very well attended, and really reflected the early days of the meetups that formed the core of our hackerspace where people would just bring, like I said, an Arduino to a coffee shop and show it off. And I think that is really powerful. And you're right that it can feel a little bit creepy, especially all of us are nerds, right? We don't, we don't like approaching people. We don't really like being extroverted stereotypically, but I think what I learned was it's important for us as founding members or people who are like hosting events or being moderators, whatever, to get a little bit of outside of our comfort zone. And uh, maybe you uh, select your name or um, avatar or bio for Discord so that it's clear that you're kind of running the place. And then you can say however you feel comfortable, but you can say just a little bit more than the Discord wave, right? Like, Hey, so-and-so, it's great to see you. What are you working on? Whatever. I mean, that was my favorite phrase at a hackerspace is what are you working on? Because that's kind of what everybody's there for, right? But um, anything you can think of that's friendly and engaging and taking that proactive step to invite somebody to a dialogue, however it is you feel comfortable. And every space is going to be different in terms of what's comfortable versus what's creepy. You're right. Yeah, that's that's a good idea. I will actually probably don't be surprised if after this interview the Discord just blow up, blows up with <laughs> me messaging everyone. Oh yeah, and well, and that's why that's why there's this weird. So many conversations happen 
and private. I think I think we like to imagine that everybody jumps into an IRC channel and everybody talks to everybody. But even if that were the case, it gets to be super noisy super quickly and people will just stop talking because they don't want to interrupt, right? Uh, especially the most shy people. So uh, always, always being on a lookout for people whose voices aren't making it above the noise or who don't feel comfortable and kind of saying, hi, you know, I'm, I'm Will, I'm, uh, you know, uh, hosting this event tonight. Uh, what made you want to come out tonight? Whatever it is. Uh, just something friendly to make people feel comfortable, even if they don't feel like speaking in front of the entire group, right? Yeah, like, uh, actually in person, yes, that's, that's, that's a good idea too. Like, going up to people, talking to them about their projects. Mm-hmm. And maybe because I will, like, know what people are working on and mm-hmm. maybe like learn it like i could like hook them up with other people who exactly like pair them like you work on rc rc cars you work on on like drones and and you both make battery packs and you you're very passionate mm-hmm. about it then like i will introduce you to each other and you can like talk your nerd exactly. talk about battery packs i actually the first time i went to chimera i mean i ran I helped run Heats and Labs for probably four or five years and started it from nothing, just a meetup. And even still, when I first walked into Chimera, it was for a programming meetup. And I was at the back of the room. I was quiet. I wasn't really knowledgeable about the topic that they were talking about. And I was ready to leave until Dana, the founder of Chimera, spotted me kind of milling around in the corner and he said, Hey, I'm Dana. Who are you? What are you up to? That's really cool. Oh yeah. You know, exactly like we're talking about. And so, um, it, it can feel very weird to get outside of our introverted comfort zone, I think, but I think it also pays dividends to practice that skill, um, to invite people and connect them just like you're saying. And one thing that I found also is people may resent kind of being connected up or, or invited to do something that maybe they weren't ready for, but they're a little bit more willing to do it when, um, when you're doing it together. So later, if you have a space and you are having a problem, let's say with people leaving trash everywhere and not cleaning up, maybe you say, Hey, Joe, uh, I'm, I'm needing to take the trash out. Can you help me? And then you're taking one trash bag and he's taking one trash bag and both of you are doing it together. And, and then it's more communal instead of you're the founder and you're telling somebody to clean up after themselves. Right. So, um, that, that very, uh, inviting vibe that you're talking about, I think can be useful for managing the community going forward as well. Yeah. So especially with the trash, uh, I'm actually part of a hackerspace in Hungary. Mm-hmm. And we have a constant problem of trash, sadly. Yeah. And but another thing is like, as you said, you don't. I don't tell people that you take out the trash. You take out the trash. But no, we take out the trash. Me and you. Exactly. You should like join me in tra- taking out the trash. I'm like not the boss of the hackerspace. I'm like the leader in what I do. So like, I I will like kind of show them that this needs to be done and like you can join me and it will make our space better and not just like sit in my bossy chair and like telling you that you should do that exactly for the space to be good yeah yeah i think uh it sounds like with your experience and and these other hacker spaces you've already gotten that vibe and so i think that's a great vibe um that will serve you well for all of these activities um we're about two thirds of the way in. So uh, maybe we should talk about one of these other topics you were mentioning, like uh, 501c3. Yes. Uh, I'm very confused about that. one. So like, if you could tell me about it, like the basics and what, what do I need to set up on why it's beneficial to the space? Yeah. So, um, well, why it's beneficial is, there's a lot of people who will question whether they should be donating to a private individual or a private company. Uh, first of all, they won't get a tax write off for it. So they, they can, you know, if you're talking about a sizable amount, let's say $200 a month for an entire year, 
that could be enough that it adds up to somebody's um, tax benefits, uh, which would not apply if they were just handing money to somebody else uh, and uh, would maybe get them. Um, it, it counts against your income when you donate it to a 51c3 organization. And uh, that's 51c3 is the IRS tax designation for a nonprofit that has been certified by them, which is different from a nonprofit corporation registered with whatever state you happen to be in. So um, because the U.S. is, you know, United States of America, uh, each state is really kind of its own government. And it just so happens that the federal government has an overarching tax system for itself. But uh, the federal government doesn't register corporations directly. Um, and states handle their own taxes separately. So kind of the first step is registering a business. So you have LLC corporation and a couple other types like nonprofit corporation of business type that you register with your state. And in this case, you would obviously go for a nonprofit corporation. Corporation means that you probably have a board of directors. So it's, uh, you know, the, the legal personhood of an entity that can sign contracts and have liability and have its own bank account and all of that stuff. Uh, and it's made up of a board using whatever bylaws you all choose. So corporate bylaws is also a big area to be looking into. And I'm sure the, the hackerspace wiki talks about it, but you come up with some rules like everybody votes or people are appointed or whoever puts down the most money gets the most votes and whatever, whatever method you all choose for deciding who's on the board and who's not. But the government, the state government will want to know who is your board and who is kind of your point of contact. They call it a statutory agent. Sometimes it's a lawyer, but sometimes it's just the secretary of the board or the president of the board or the only person on the board, you know, whoever it is. Um, and maybe you have other board positions. It doesn't really matter too much beyond that. But the government wants to know who it is so that if there's some legal thing, they know who to call and where they live. Uh, and all, obviously all those people have to be over 18. And then once you have, let's say, a state of California nonprofit organization, corporation, then you say, hey, IRS, I'm filling out all of these tax forms to register and request that we are a 501c3 federal nonprofit corporation. And when you do that, they're going to say, okay, you're going to need to tell us why, how, how much, when, where, right? It's a whole bunch of forms that are essentially asking the question. If you imagine like the Red Cross or any other famous, uh, you know, um, charitable organization, 501c3 is a charity, right? There's, there's other 501 organizations. There's 501c4, c5, c, I don't know. But, uh, you know, you can have a 501 organization for like a private club or a political action committee or, um, uh, like a co-op booster organization, you can choose. But 501c3 are the ones that um, primarily benefit from charitable donations and then tax breaks. And so that's what a lot of big companies or, or uh, wealthy individuals are looking for when they're looking to donate to something. They Not only are they getting a benefit from a tax write-off, but it's also the IRS saying this is a organization who is uh, doing something charitable with that money and not just putting it in their pocket and buying a Porsche with it. So um, registering that, that nonprofit and you're basically saying to the IRS, we are here for usually heatsink said that it's education, you know, educational opportunities. Um, you can obviously, you know, raise awareness or like, do health related things or help marginalized people. There's many charitable purposes, but uh, we went with education for ours. And so we say we are a place where we 
provide education and access to tools to people who need it or something like that. And uh, they'll ask kind of like a, you know, basic like budget operational plan and stuff. So um, it's worth looking at the paperwork so that you have an eye on uh, what it will end up looking like. But I think it took six to nine months in 2009 and that was before a pandemic and before all sorts of insanity. So it, it could, I, I would fully expect that it could take a year or two or as short as three months. I have no idea uh, for you to, to submit that paperwork and then actually receive a response. And usually the IRS agent wants you to provide additional detail or make some changes. They'll say, you know, why is this number this or justify this or, uh, why do these two things not match? And then you have to resubmit it and wait a couple more months. So um, maybe you go ahead and look at what that process is like online. I'm sure there's tutorials and on the hackerspace wiki and stuff like that. But um, it's a process that happens after you already have a state registered nonprofit corporation with a board. And uh, if I were you, I would worry about your couple core members and your couple dozen um, uh, regular members and just having fun and creating the nucleus of the space, you know, see if you even get along together, see if you're actually interested in each other's projects, see if you can hang out regularly uh, because that's the core of what you're trying to do anyway. Right. And um, as you're doing that, you can also be working on the groundwork for, an eventual physical space. Uh, but since it's going to take so long and since it ideally is comprised of all of you who are all over 18, um, I would consider it to be a longer term thing. And in the short term, what's important is the inspiration and uh, kind of hacking nucleus activity of uh, seeing who all is going to be the most motivated and interested and uh, helpful and engaged um, members. Yes, uh, I I think the same. Like for now, uh, we are just trying to. Well, we probably kind of rush this, uh, like finding a space uh, to be in, because probably by the time we get there, actually those places will be gone. But like it was a good indicator of what rents are like uh how much would rent be uh yeah you have to look around it's like finding a job it's like any other search you have to see what's out there yeah and it like changes from month to month or or even day to day properties may stay on the market for a long time and then you can say hey uh i'll take this for 20 percent off you know maybe (laughs) yeah that's that's a good idea it also gives you an idea for how the place is like uh, I know a lot of you live in various parts of Sonoma County. Santa Rosa, Sebastopol, Roner Park, Katati all have different industries and uh, infrastructure and vibes um, that kind of can help you inform what you want to end up being. Yeah, I, I think that first off, these meetings will be very helpful and like maybe even... Uh, like we will get some people from uh, places that could maybe offer us a space for very uh, discounted prices, if you know what sure. I mean. Yeah, there, there's a lot of people who remember 180 Studios or who have uh, been involved in Chimera and maybe are no longer involved. Or, I mean, I personally am happy to have as many of these creative spaces as possible. So. Uh, I would be the kind of person who maybe I'm not paying full membership fees at both, but uh, I'm certainly hopping around between both communities. Yeah. Uh, I think that's it about for today. I would be happy to talk with you uh, again later. Yeah, sure. Um, one thing that I wanted to mention, by the way, you you, you mentioned um, insurance. Uh, and there is nonprofit specific insurance and there's, um, insurance that is kind of, uh, geared towards physical events that may like maybe dangerous and stuff. 
um, the main thing that you're going to run into is that the insurance cost for covering anybody who is a contractor is um, not only something that you can't handle yourself because contractors aren't related to you, but uh, can often be more expensive than it's worth. So my advice to you would be go ahead and look at insurance. They call it DNO insurance, which is directors and operators. That ensures whoever's on your board from direct responsibility for whatever the organization ends up doing. So some volunteer, you know, slaps somebody in the face, that person can't go around and sue the board for that. Uh, or if they do, the insurance um, pays out instead of you guys individually. So DNO insurance is usually pretty affordable, maybe like a hundred bucks a year or something. It's it's everybody does it. Just do it by default. It'll be easy. I think there's a California nonprofit insurance company. I'll have to look it up for you, but you can Google around. Um, nonprofit insurance is is extremely common. There's kind of like business operations organizational insurance, which insures not the directors and officers and board members, but the corporation itself against liability claims and you know somebody slips and falls at your business or something a um, little bit more pricey maybe let's say a thousand dollars a year or something but still something that just everybody does in its default what that doesn't do though is again if somebody's a contractor that means that they're their own business right if a plumber comes to your location and does plumbing work and they stab themselves they're on their own, right? So one issue we had at Chimera was if we have these teachers who are teaching a class for money and we pay them the money that we've received from the class and we report that income on form 1099, which is the form that we use for contractors, then they're not an employee of Chimera they're not a volunteer because volunteers don't make money. They're a contractor. They're separate. They have to take care of it on their own. They're usually not going to be willing not only to teach a class for us for, let's call it, you know, a hundred or two hundred dollars a class. They're not really making that whole, a whole bunch of money, and then manage their own insurance on top of it, which can very often cost a lot on a you know per, like like hey insurance company, I'm having an event. What's the, you know, I'm going to have 10 kids dealing with a laser cutter. How much do you want to charge me? Like, it's just, it very quickly becomes not worth it to whatever yeah. you've managed to line up. So my advice, if possible, is to go with the heat sink model as much as you can, where if a class is happening, it's more of a meetup style, it's more casual, it's more volunteer based, and any money involved is more donation based. And the people who are leading the class and teaching the subject matter are doing so because they really love it and they want to share it and not because it's um, necessarily like a, a profit making um, money thing for them. And that can be hard. Some people really value their time highly and maybe it's very difficult to get somebody to educate a dozen people on a laser cutter for free. But if you're able to cultivate from the very beginning this kind of meetup vibe, then the people who are showing up are people who have kind of this passion for sharing and having these kinds of informal things. And I think that can be a much better model for you than the, the sign-off class paid model um, because there is that gotcha. Uh, California, I don't know if you remember with the whole like Uber and Lyft contractor thing. Do you remember that? I did not I don't even know about it. So. Yeah, it was like two or three years ago. They passed a law because Uber was classifying their drivers as contractors, right? Independent businesses. So yes. they don't have to pay out employee benefits and stuff like that. Well, that's kind of shitty because Uber controls every aspect of that driver's employment. They They say when you're allowed to be a driver. They say how much you're allowed to charge. They're not really independent, right? So... um California passed a law restricting who you're allowed to call a 1099 contractor and try to make these people more like W-2 employees with benefits and employment taxes and, you know, time off and all that stuff. 
And the problem is that that really sunk a lot of these kind of like artistic volunteer, uh, you know, weird creative arrangements like hackerspaces kind of maybe want to be having where you can't really pay somebody 50 bucks to show up and run your event at this date and this time with these materials that you provide, you know, like it, it gets to be very uh, weird, especially with nonprofits and especially with artists kind of, kind of spaces, how you can legally exchange money um, with that situation. And so I think they realized it. I think they're trying to fix it, but just be aware that that was a big mess for us to untangle and insurance companies will not you, you as a hackerspace cannot sign up for insurance on behalf of somebody else. They have to do it. And they're oh. not covered under yours because they're not related to you. So the the loophole that I found was if they're volunteers or like a board member and they're not getting paid to do it, then they're covered by the liability insurance. Then if somebody stabs themselves or burns their eyes out with the laser cutter or whatever, then they might try to sue that individual. They might try to sue the um, the, the hackerspace, but it, it's all related together because they were acting as a volunteer on behalf of the hackerspace instead of a private contractor teaching so a you're, class. You're saying that everyone that uh, like holds workshops and at, attends these workshops that could potentially be dangerous should be it's, like taken as a as a volunteer of the space uh whoever's like quote unquote teaching right if you're attending maybe you sign a liability waiver or whatever you know you can certainly donate money to the organization whatever but for for insurance purposes and for um taxation purposes and legal purposes it's just a lot easier you know the money is so slim in so many of these things to begin with like even at Chimera where the, the price can easily get into like 300 or $500. I don't know if anybody's getting rich or paying their rent off of it. You know, maybe they, maybe they uh, have a little bit of extra pocket money, but I don't think it's their, their primary employment. So um, it, I think for you as a hackerspace founder becomes much easier if you can cultivate people who are willing to volunteer this in a casual setting rather than, trying to go with the money angle, like you're saying of, uh, you know, pay me for this class and I will teach you. And I think it's more of the hacker ethos anyway, that way, but just to be aware that, um, that's a brick wall that I ran into that, uh, uh, once there is that money changing hands for the people who are quote unquote working, um, it's so easy for the money to just skyrocket because you have to immediately have them arranging insurance and taxes and you know you're cutting checks to them and document like accounting for all that it's it's a lot yeah i'm i'm hoping to have the like workshops hold, uh, held by uh users of the space uh, mm -hmm. like volunteers uh i know that me and my friends are very knowledgeable about stuff like i one of the court members is very good at networking. She actually works at the network or, or the IT department of the school. Nice. And uh, like there is this other guy who is very good at graphic design. You might have seen his watch face design on the server. Oh, yeah, cool. Yeah. So like I'm hoping that we can get started with like making workshops for people and then like encouraging every user to like if they are good in something to like teach it to 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 the other people who are interested yeah and and when that's presented in kind of the meetup format like a quasi meetup workshop thing you know like at this meetup we're going to do this um i think that that has just the right balance of of vibe where people don't feel like they need to be charging for it but they also don't mind if you have a tip jar or donation jar up front, you know, um, you can, uh, as a hackerspace, you can say like, as an organization, we will pay for the materials or we, we will handle, you know, 
uh, taking money for the materials and distributing the materials to the, the students or something like that. But um, just letting you know that uh, insurance-wise and taxation-wise and accounting-wise, it gets hairy as soon as the hackerspace is paying money to somebody who's doing work on your behalf. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for uh, having me today. Yeah, for sure. Thanks so much. And um, I will wrap this uh, episode up. Thank you all for listening. And please visit our website, makerspacemanagers.com, for resources and to subscribe to the next episode. And tell your fellow Makerspace or Hackerspace managing friends if you found this podcast helpful. See you next time.